Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I'm not going to give out the number of the first hour because I'm not taking any calls the first hour. The debate. You've heard everybody else comment. I have not. I have scrupulously not listened to other radio talk show hosts. Oh, I've watched the television. But no radio hosts. So I don't know who's saying what. I don't want to know who's saying what. But I watched this debate very carefully. It was a lousy presidential commission system that was set up. It was moderated awfully. And I want to get into specifics here with respect to these candidates. There's only one candidate who called the other candidate names. I went back and double-checked this. And that was Joe Biden clown, racist, stupid, shut up. I'm not surprised by this. Joe Biden is a nasty old man, and he was a nasty young man. And, you know, I take a risk when I post these things during the day because the backbenchers just cherry-pick my posts. That's okay. What can I tell you? But Joe Biden's always been this way. Whether it's Robert Bork, as I posted this morning, or Clarence Thomas, or scores of individuals who were nominated for judgeships and presidential appointments in Republican administrations. This is how he treats them. He calls them names, he uses surrogates, he leaks to the press. Joe Biden has had a 50-year relationship with the Washington press. 
Donald Trump has no relationship with the Washington press, and he's only been in Washington less than four years. And, it tell, and you can tell with respect to Biden and the press. Trump was cut off repeatedly. Biden was allowed to go on with these little monologues. And what Biden does in a two-minute monologue, he'll tell five lies and throw ten insults. Because that's what they do in Washington. And that's how Biden conducts himself. He doesn't have brain power. He's a brawler. You think Trump's a brawler? Biden's a brawler. Now, I suspect but don't know that the president and his team looked at how Biden debated Paul Ryan in October of 2012, where Paul Ryan was considered a very decent guy, whether you like his politics or not, that's beside the point. A very informed young man, very attractive young man. He'd been in Congress for some time. And everybody thought he'd whip old Joe. But you see, Joe doesn't play fair. Joe makes facial tics. He comments under his breath. He has sort of an odd laugh. He does things to try and disrupt, to disrupt his opponent. This is what he does. That's what he did to Paul Ryan. That's what he tried to do to Donald Trump, but Donald Trump was not playing the role of Paul Ryan. Donald Trump is a counterpuncher. And you go back and look at the beginning of this debate from last night, and you will see it was Joe Biden who started the brawling and the interruptions, the name-calling, and this constant, Trump is a liar, liar, liar. You know, Biden has an entire career of lying, plagiarism, stealing speeches from Robert Kennedy and Neil Kunick, lying about scholarships into law school, lying about his IQ, lying about his grades, and on and on and on and on, lying about his policies. I was deeply offended by some of the questions that were asked by the moderator. Just telling you that I'm an American first. Not a radio host first. Not a TV host first. Not an author first. I'm an American first. And I'm going to tell it like it is. And we'll get to some of this. This white supremacy stuff. It's interesting that, that Joe Biden wasn't asked about it. Because he was the only candidate standing on the stage who actually dealt with white supremacists and segregationists. And was damn proud of it. Kamala Harris even called him out. But the moderator didn't. Implicit in the moderator's question to the President of the United States was he must like white supremacists. President of the United States, who a week before, for the first time in our history, issued an order that lynching is a federal hate crime. It hadn't been done under Obama, uh, Biden, hadn't been done under any Democrat. And as an arm's length long list, of policies that he's implemented for the purpose of trying to assist the black community? Joe Biden doesn't have a list at all. Nothing. Half a century. But I'll circle back to that. We'll circle back to that. If the presidential commission doesn't like the way the debate went, maybe they ought to do a better job in picking their moderators. And maybe the Democrat Party ought to do a better job in nominating its candidates. 
because the first one to throw the mud was Biden. As I said, he's a brawler. Now, I want to remind you of what happened October 11, 2012. Unfortunately, this is audio, not video. And throughout this, Biden is smiling, laughing, rolling his eyes, his body English, mocking Paul Ryan, keeps interrupting him. And I guarantee you, I don't know for sure, but I guarantee you Trump and the Trump team saw this and they were not going to play the role of Paul Ryan because I've been hearing news analysis, commentators, people I like. Not radio. I didn't listen to radio. I hear them say, if Trump would have kept quiet, Biden would have fallen on his face. No, if Trump would have kept quiet, Biden would have gotten away with murder. All of his lies and slurs would have gone unchallenged because the way the presidential commission set this up and the way the moderator was handling the debate, Trump couldn't reply. He had no opportunity to reply. Several times he said, can I answer that? No, 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 I'm going on to the next question. Well, you can't leave things unanswered. October 11, 2012, listen carefully. Paul Ryan and Joe Biden, cut 10, go. Here's the problem. They got caught with their hands in the cookie jar, turning Medicare into a piggy bank for Obamacare. Their and by the way, throughout actual- this, he's smirking. Right, Mr. Producer? He's smirking. He's, he's motioning. It's like he's got a real Tourette's issue or whatever it is. Go ahead. ...came to Congress and said, one out of six hospitals and nursing homes are going to go out of business as a result of this. That's not what they say. 7.4 million stop. senior... You, stop, please. You're going to hear throughout this little shots like that, where he's violating the time that Paul Ryan has. Go ahead. Expected to lose the current Medicare Advantage coverage they have. That's a $3,200 benefit cut. That didn't what we're happen. saying, more people signed. These are up. from your own actuaries. More, 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 more people signed up for Medicare Advantage after what, the change. What there's no, the, nobody is. Mr. Vice President, down. I know. No, no this Mr. is Mr. Vice President. Little, I know you're under a lot of duress. To make up for lost ground. (laughs) But I think people will be better served if we don't keep interrupting each other. Well, don't take all the four minutes then. And this goes on. This goes on. And it wasn't just on health care. It was throughout this debate. Biden was mocking, making faces, that strange laugh that he has, rolling his eyes, interrupting. This went on. Now, Paul Ryan's not Donald Trump, and Donald Trump's not Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan was, as the Washington, excuse me, the Wall Street Journal editorial page, one of their favorite candidates. They loved Paul Ryan. And they're out there trashing, among others, the President of the United States today. The President of the United States had to make a decision. Once this debate started, once it was clear what was going on with the moderator, once it was clear what was going on with the brawler, Biden, and his history coming back, puking back up onto the stage, he had to make a decision. Am I going to get rolled? Do I sit back like Paul Ryan did? Or do I fight back? Do I fight back? Do I confront Joe Biden? Do I confront what's happening in terms of the moderation of this debate. And he fought back. He had no choice. More when I return. Folks, I have something serious to talk to you about. I don't have to tell you that we're in a fight for the soul of the country. 
One side in our country claims that America was founded on banned principles and built on oppression. They've even put together a distorted history of America, the New York Times 1619 Project. The other side knows, like you do, that our country's done more to achieve and advance liberty than any other in history. The best way to fight back? Teach the truth. Today we can learn the true story of America from the college that's better at teaching it than any other, Hillsdale College. My friends at Hillsdale have put together a great free online course called The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. And folks, that's just what we need right now, hope. So get inspired. Sign up today for free at levinforhillsdale.com for Hillsdale's course on the glorious history of the last best hope on earth, America, and share it with others. That's levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I had a neighbor of mine. He's not particularly political. He's not particularly a Trump fan. I was walking uh, our dog, Marty, this morning. He comes up to me. And he says, uh, wants to give his opinion about the debate. It's anecdotal, of course, but it's very interesting. He says, so what do you think? I gave my opinion. He said, I'll tell you what. There are other candidates the Democrats would have chosen. If they had chosen them, I probably would have voted for them. He said, when I watched this debate, my most, most of my focus was on Biden. I said, why is that? He said, because I know who Trump is. I know what his record is. I know how he talks. But I don't really know Biden. After 47 years, he said, after eight years as vice, I don't really know this guy. I don't know what he's done. And he said, I watched him and I listened to him. I still don't know what he's done, and I still don't know what he's going to do. And I found him to be rather nasty. So I'm not voting for Biden. I'm voting for Trump. You have Frank Luntz and others out there with their groups, and they say this turns off independence. It turns off people who haven't made up their minds. What turns them off? A brawl? And so they they do one of these, it's a plague on everybody's house. No, it's not a plague on everybody's house. If you listen to the debate, the President of the United States was prepared with specifics. He could tell you about his record. Joe Biden was not prepared with specifics. He refused to talk about whether or not he would destroy the Supreme Court by packing it. He refused to answer a question about the filibuster rule. He lied about his opposition to fossil fuels and fracking, and I hope you're listening to me, Western Pennsylvania and the rest of the country. He lied about his support for the Green New Deal. That whole section in the 110-page <coughs> manifesto was written in part by AOC. It's there on his website. And he lied about it, because that's what he does. He won't release a list of Supreme Court nominees, potential nominees, because he's trying to conceal a radical agenda that he intends to impose on this country. He lies about Obamacare. We don't need him to tell us what's happened to us. Our deductibles are crazy high. Our premiums are crazy high. We don't have multiple choices of insurance companies and insurance plans. We're all straightjacketed in this plan. Even he knows it, which is why they keep talking about, we're going to improve it, expand it, even uh, reform it. God forbid. And he would lie like that throughout, and he wasn't challenged. No fact-checking from the moderator. 
who did some fact-checking, seemed to like to get into fights with the President of the United States. I'm just observing it. It's nothing personal with me, but I'm an American citizen and I'm watching this. So that's what this neighbor said. He knew about Trump. He knew nothing about Biden. And think about that, all these decades. And he didn't like what he saw. And he also said, you don't call the president a clown and a racist. You just don't do that. The president of the United States was actually quite restrained. He didn't say sleepy Joe. He didn't call Joe a racist. He certainly could have. Again, I'll circle back to this. When the, pre- when the moderator asked the president of the United States, will you denounce white supremacists? Will you denounce them? They were, will you denounce them? Now, why would he ask a question like that? Did he ask Biden to denounce anti-Semitism, which is a poison in the Democrat Party? Some of the people who've been advising Biden are out of the closet anti-Semites. Was he asked about anti-Semitism? Was Biden asked about his relationship with segregationists? Did even Kamala Harris denounce during their debates? It's out there. It's about why wasn't he yet? President of the United States has no relationship, no history whatsoever with white supremacists or white supremacy. What's the game? The game is he's picking up steam among African Americans, particularly black men. And so that has to be staunched, you see. They have to stop that because I could screw up the election. And the the virulent anti-Semitism out of the left and the Democrat Party. Not one question about that. Not one. Not one. You ask a president of the United States who's done more to try and assist the black community than the first black president and Joe Biden, than really any president in modern times, and you're asking him, will he denounce white supremacy and white supremacism? The guy that reversed the 1994 crime bill? And put in this reform crime bill? You're asking this president that? Why? Because the inferences, ladies and gentlemen, that he got all this support from you, and all of you out there must be white supremacists. Oh, yeah. And the Proud Boys. The president doesn't know what the Proud Boys is. I don't even know what the hell the Proud Boys is. I hear of them. I'm somewhat familiar, just based on what I read, but I don't know the details of them. And then Biden says, Antifa's an idea, it's not an organization. Well, that's a hell of an idea, going around burning down cities, beating people's brains in, trying to blind cops with lasers. Oh, that's some idea. And why did he call it an idea? Because he doesn't want to say, Antifa is a domestic Marxist terrorist group. He doesn't want to say it. I'll be right back. Folks, I have something serious to talk to you about. I don't have to tell you that we're in a fight for the soul of the country. One side in our country claims that America was founded on banned principles and built on oppression. They've even put together a distorted history of America, the New York Times 1619 Project. The other side knows, like you do, that our country's done more to achieve and advance liberty than any other in history. The best way to fight back? Teach the truth. Today, we can learn the true story of America from the college that's better at teaching it than any other, Hillsdale College. My friends at Hillsdale have put together a great free online course called The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. And folks, that's just what we need right now, hope. So get inspired. 
Sign up today for free at levinforhillsdale.com for Hillsdale's course on the glorious history of the last best hope on earth, America, and share it with others. That's levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Pathetic liberal potholes. He's a truck full of hot constitutional asphalt. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. I dare every so-called newsroom in this country to go back and rewatch that debate and see who threw the first mud ball and who started the interruptions first. And I encourage all of you. My fellow Americans, the Levinites, to do exactly the same thing. As I said, I was taking notes at the time. It was Biden. Biden. I'm watching TV and they're saying, you know, Trump has a plan to knock Biden off his game. That's not what happened. Trump was there to have a debate, a straightforward debate. And Biden was there to brawl. I know this seems to be hard for people to digest mentally, but it's true. Because that's what Biden does. That's what he did with Bork. That's what he did with Thomas. That's what he did with Paul Ryan. That's what he did with everything. Everybody. Because he's a low IQ guy. Now, another thing people are saying on TV, should have waited. Trump should have let him get away with all this and just be quiet because he would have tripped. These are the same people who are saying Trump and his team underestimated or put out the word that, uh, you know, Biden's not capable of it. But Biden is. So which is it? The fact is, at least in the first hour, Biden was, in fact, capable of debating. Not well, but debating. He wasn't slobbering all over himself. It would have been a huge mistake for the President of the United States to allow Biden to go on and on and on, because today we'd be talking about what the hell happened to Trump. He let this guy get away with lie after lie after lie. He didn't confront him. He let this guy interrupt them over and over and over again. That's what we've been discussing today. If Trump followed any of the advice you're listening to, he was pinned against the wall. He had to make a decision. Am I going to be Paul Ryan or am I going to be Donald Trump? I'm dealing with a hostile moderator and I'm dealing with a brawling Joe Biden. That's who he is. That's what he is. One more thing on this white supremacy issue. Richard Spencer, I believe that's his name, if not the leading, one of the leading neo-Nazis in America. He has endorsed Joe Biden. Why wasn't Joe Biden asked about that? The mass murder in Pittsburgh in that synagogue who slaughtered those, those Jewish parishioners there. He hated Trump, and he hated the fact that he had Jews in his family. Where's this great support for Donald Trump among the white supremacists? It's shocking. Meanwhile, another African-American state representative, this time in Ohio, has endorsed Donald Trump. Why isn't she getting the same attention as Tom Ridge or John Kasich, who've endorsed Biden? We know the answer to all these questions, don't we? All of them. And Joe Biden accuses the President of the United States of killing over 200,000 people. How did that get through the cracks? It's so sickening, such a disgusting and outrageous accusation. And all the people who've lost somebody. Do you appreciate Joe Biden exploiting the death in your family? These people are sitting at a table and they have an empty chair. And that's Donald Trump? Donald Trump? Sickening. He never criticized the decision of these big, blue, 
very heavily populated governors in these states who decided to put corona-positive patients in nursing homes and put them in assisted living homes. He's never once criticized that. Not once. Unbelievable. The tax issue. Now, if you're going to bring up the tax issue and you're a moderator, get it right. Read the entire New York Times article. Deep into the article. I talked about this last evening. Way into the article. Hidden by the New York Times like they did with the Holocaust. It says Trump from 2010 to 2017 paid the alternative minimum tax. That is a federal tax. Approximately $24 million. It's right there. In the article, we don't have the documents that were purloined, a felony committed. But if you're going to bring up the damn tax issue, at least read the article and get it right. And then we all know about Biden, Dr. Jill and Joe setting up an S-1 corporation. What did they do that for? Because he was making a ton of money giving speeches, slobbering, incoherent speeches, millions and millions of dollars, over 13 million, 13.3 million So he sets up this S-1 corporation. Why? Why did Mr. Lunchbucket Scranton versus Park Avenue set up this corporation? Why did he do it? So he wouldn't have to pay the payroll taxes, including Social Security and Medicare. It's Joe Biden who explicitly, specifically chose not to contribute to Social Security and Medicare. Wouldn't you think you'd bring that up if you're going to Bring up a specious issue that Donald Trump, the New York Times, says you spent only $750 in tax spending, in tax payments. You don't use the talking points of the left or the rest of the media, which is so corrupt, thoroughly, completely corrupt. You notice what else didn't come up? Biden didn't bring it up. Russia. What happened to Russia? What happened to the collusion with Russia? Three and a half damn years this nation has to suffer through this. Never comes up. Not once. Except by the president who's trying to explain it. And he's cut off repeatedly. Cut off repeatedly. Now the Wall Street Journal editorial page wonders, why weren't we playing by Queensberry rules here? We wanted Donald Trump to come out like Paul Ryan. And what, get his brains beaten in? Ask yourselves a question. Not these, these people who look with 2020 hindsight. They're so proper. I would have done it this way. I would have done it that way. You wouldn't have done anything. You're not on the stage. And there's a reason for that. So he's taking incoming. Biden's the first one to start brawling. That's what Biden does. Trump is well aware that's what Biden does. He's well aware, I assume, what happened to Paul Ryan. He remembers. He knows what happened to Bork and and Thomas and the rest of them. He knows he's dealing with a reprobate. A guy that's just going to throw around lies and attack. He should just let him fall on his own face. He wasn't going to fall on his own face the first hour. Again, the same people who give Trump that advice are the same people out of the other side of their mouth who say, I think Trump and the Republicans have have overstated uh, 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 Biden's incapacity. And he will outshine what they've, you know, the standard that they've set. Well, he was. The guy's good. He's a good liar. 
And he was prepped to lie. Two minutes. Get in as many lies as you can. And the other thing he kept doing, Donald Trump's a liar. Donald Trump's a liar. Can you tell me one thing Donald Trump lied about during that debate, Mr. Producer? Nothing. What are they talking about? Coming from the biggest serial liar over 50 years in Washington, D.C. What did he lie about? He didn't lie about anything. So once again, people don't like you, see, because Donald Trump doesn't take BS. He stands up for himself. He fights back. They don't like it. He kept interrupting. He kept interrupting. Who started the interrupting? Go look. You don't have to trust. Go look. It was Biden. Who's the brawler in these days? Biden. And as a very good friend, a very smart friend of mine said to me, when you compare Trump's performance last night to what took place in 2016, he was much better this year. Excuse me, this time than in 2016. Much better. Remember Hillary Clinton was said to have blown him out. Well, none of the serious polls show anybody blowing out Donald Trump. Some of them show him winning. I don't think it was a strategy to knock Biden off his game. I think he was defending himself and his policies and trying to explain to the American people what was going on. And it was Biden who was the aggressor, Biden who was the brawler, Biden who was the bully. And as this gentleman said down the street from me, I know about Trump. I didn't know about Biden. Now I know about Biden and I'm not voting for him. And I'm not voting for him. When I first started in radio, it's almost 20 years now, right, Mr. Producer? Close to it. The first debate that took took place, and you can go back and check this. It's all over the place. I said, we need to eliminate moderators. Others have picked up this point since then. And what was I talking about? I explained what I was talking about, the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Not that we're going to have Lincoln-Douglas debates. But these moderators are impossible. And I'm not just picking on the moderator last night. All of them. Almost all of them have been a disaster. The campaigns, we don't need a presidential commission on debates. The campaign should get together and decide what, if any, kind of debates they're going to have. This is a political process. Now I want to tell you one other thing. I don't give a crap about this debate. I don't give a crap about the next two debates. I don't give a crap about the vice presidential debate. I know the media cares. Oh, I know. It's endless. I understand. Don't get sucked into this. This election is really very simple. It comes down to one thing. Do you love your country or don't you? Don't expect to learn things from the debate. The media love this. They love the gotcha moments. They love their headlines. They love to lecture us, lecture the candidates. They like to influence the outcome of the election. I am telling you. We'll watch them. We'll comment on them. But it has absolutely no influence on me whatsoever. Why? You either love this country and you want to save this republic. Or you don't. And that's what this election comes down to. Debate or no debate. Interruption or no interruption. Moderator or no moderator. Presidential commission on debates or no presidential commission on debates. This election comes down to your survivability. 
Do you want to be free or not? Do you want to save your way of life or not? That's the issue. Do you want to end the violence in the streets or not? Do you believe in democratic socialism, a.k.a. Marxism? Because it's on the move. It has devoured and conquered the Democrat Party. That's your choice in this election. Screw the debates. That's the bottom line. I'll be right back. Folks, I have something serious to talk to you about. I don't have to tell you that we're in a fight for the soul of the country. One side in our country claims that America was founded on banned principles and built on oppression. They've even put together a distorted history of America, the New York Times 1619 Project. The other side knows, like you do, that our country's done more to achieve and advance liberty than any other in history. The best way to fight back? Teach the truth. Today we can learn the true story of America from the college that's better at teaching it than any other, Hillsdale College. My friends at Hillsdale have put together a great free online course called The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. And folks, that's just what we need right now, hope. So get inspired. Sign up today for free at levinforhillsdale.com for Hillsdale's course on the glorious history of the last best hope on earth, America, and share it with others. That's levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. By the way, we have some really, really loyal Levinites, most of you. We get these emails all the time because when I'm done with the program, I shut everything off. And what we find is my commentaries are monitored. Not just by the political class, but by cable shows, cable networks, enemies like Media Matters and Mediaite and people like that. And so they cherry-pick stuff. Some cherry-pick it to plagiarize. Some cherry-pick it to attack. I don't care. It's like the president's talking to the American people. I'm talking to you Levinites. I'm talking to my audience. I don't care what the others say or do. It doesn't matter. Some of you get worried. You send me email. Don't worry. It's okay. Now, there's a lot of hand-wringing out there. My God, we've never seen anything like this. Jake Tapper who is a Democrat in bed over at CNN, like most of the other hosts, he said uh, this is the worst thing he's ever seen, and it's Trump's fault. And the level of commentary and the, uh, and the IQ number goes down and down and down as they begin to talk to other hosts and commentators. Same thing at MSNBC. There's really no difference between those two networks. Really the same thing. And that's because these hosts are left-wing Democrats and... They're illiterate when it comes to history. You know, for the left, history begins when they were born. History begins when they choose it to begin. I'm going to do something I doubt any other radio host has done. We're going to go through a little bit of history of some of these campaigns. Is this really the nastiest campaign ever? Like the geniuses at the Wall Street Journal editorial page said? You know, Franklin, uh, this, is, this is just, well, we've never seen anything. Paul? What do you think, Paul? Well, I, I really don't know. Naomi, what do you... Well, I'm appalled. This is worse than professional wrestling here. 
Never seen anything like this. And of course, I read their editorial. Again, very emotional. But they didn't explain anything that I've explained to you. They didn't go back and they didn't look. Well, who's the one who started this? And the brawler with Paul Ryan. and Not a thing. They didn't mention the president didn't call Joe Biden Sleepy Joe or Hiding Joe. None of that. There's only one person on that stage who disrespected the presidency, the office of the presidency, and that was Joe Biden. And he thinks he's going to slide into it. He thinks he's going to slide into it because he's got the media in his back pocket, which was evident and continues to be evident. Joe Biden, when he gives a speech, like he did, he got on a train. Got on a train today. Uh, I'm doing a whistle-stop tour. Uh, I'm going to Western... Uh, shut up, you idiot. He's doing a whistle-stop tour. So, in giving a speech, he's trashing the president. He's lying about the president. He's the worst president in American history. Not James Buchanan. No, 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 no. Not Andrew Johnson. No, 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 no. Not the rabid, racist, big-time progressive Democrat Woodrow Wilson. No. Not Lyndon Johnson and what he did with Vietnam. No. Donald Trump is the worst president in American history. So pathetic. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. million Levinites out there. Terrestrial radio, live streaming, the Mark Levin app, the iHeart app, our podcast. Welcome, welcome all. All right, I want to move on. A little bit of a history lesson. And uh, this is actually quite good. Actually, before I do this, uh, I want you to hear this montage put together by this great organization called Grabian of CNN, MSNBC, urging Biden, don't do any more debates, don't do any more debates. Since when do the media advise candidates? Starting with Jake Tapper, of course. Cut six, go. So, very simple question. After what went down this evening, do you think Joe Biden should participate? in a second or third debate. Should the next two debates go on as scheduled? I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if this is the last presidential debate. Should there be other debates? Are we really going to repeat this? Are we going to have another two of of these? I think we have to hear from the Presidential Commission on Debates tomorrow. We, 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 We can't do two more of these. Why are we bothering a with a discussion of the rules, of format, of time limits, of uh, moderators at all, when we have just seen... That guy's not just slow talking, he's slow thinking. Go ahead. 
This is amazing. These are, these are networks where they have hosts calling Trump Hitler. Repeatedly in one program. Hitler. And saying the most awful things. And then they go, look at this debate. It's, it's so uncouth. It's so uncouth. Trump's Hitler. Oh, my goodness. It's, I've never seen anything like this. His supporters are like, they're like brown shirts. But the debate is so uncouth. Mostly peaceful protests where we have rioting in the streets. Anything goes when you attack the president of the United States. But the debate, that's where their line is drawn. That's where little Miss Manners comes in. Would I like debates that are lit? Of course I would, but it ain't going to happen. Because the Democrats destroy everything. They destroy our cities. They're destroying our Constitution. They're destroying our election. You think they're going to let the debate be handled? In a clean way, Joe Biden's not going to allow that. All right. Shall we do a little bit of history? You want to have a little bit of fun here. A little bit of context. let's, Let's try that. This is something I enjoy. Is this the nastiest, as the Wall Street Journal editorial page suggests? No, is this the nastiest ever? Headlines everywhere. Oh, my God, we've never seen anything like this. Yes, we have. And it started early on. Negative campaigning. You can go back to John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. And these were two very, very close friends during the Revolutionary period. And by the way, they would later in life become very, very close friends, as you well know. But as it's pointed out in various publications, by 1800, party politics had taken over. And uh, you had uh, a uh, president found himself running against his vice president. You had John Adams running against Thomas Jefferson as vice president. Now, all that was changed with an amendment to the Constitution. Jefferson's camp accused Adams of having, if I can pronounce this, but you'll know what it is, a hideous, hermaphroditical character which is neither the force and firmness of a man nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman. In other words, both genitalia. In return, Adam's men called Vice President Jefferson a mean-spirited, low-lived fellow, the son of a half-breed Indian squaw sired by a Virginia mulatto father. Wow. And the slurs just piled on. Adams was labeled a fool, a hypocrite, a criminal, a tyrant. Jefferson branded a weakling, an atheist, a libertine, and a coward. Martha Washington. Telling a clergyman that Jefferson was one of the most detestable of mankind. So Jefferson hired the first campaign operative, James Callender. Because back then, candidates didn't campaign. Not because of a virus, it just wasn't considered the thing to do. And, uh, but the difference was they both, uh, that Jefferson hired this hatchet man, this, this James Callender, which helped do the smearing on Adams. Now, Adams considered himself above such things, and he paid a price for it. Now, I'm sure the Trump camp isn't aware of this, but they're very wise to follow history. Calendar 
was unscrupulous, very effective. And he convinced many Americans that John Adams was actually plotting to attack France. You know how the Democrats say, well, Donald Trump is tied in with the Russians. Well, okay. It was a lie. But a lot of voters bought it. In the end, Jefferson won the election. But Jefferson, well, he paid a price too. This guy, Callender, served jail time for the attacks he wrote about Adams. Because back then, there were not only defamation laws, you could serve time. And in 1801, when he got out of prison, uh, he felt that Jefferson had done him wrong. So then Calendar the next year in 1802, it had only been a rumor by then, he, uh, he wrote a story that Jefferson had an affair with one of his slaves by the name of Sally Hemings. You may have heard of her. And there were a series, a series of articles. And he claimed that Jefferson lived with Hastings and Hemings in France, that she had given birth to five of his children, and, and Jefferson was, this followed Jefferson for the rest of his life. So, uh, and, they, and they became fast friends later. <laughs> but there's more. There's a lot more in our history. This is what amazes me about our press and editorial page. They don't know a damn thing. And here's the irony. And I'm going to use this just to rub their noses in it. This is from September 23, 2016, literally four years ago, CNN. By Gregory Craig. And the headline on this story from four years ago, Trump Clinton nasty, not compared to these campaigns. And, of course, they talk about the Jefferson and Adams campaigns. But they also talk about Andrew Jackson and John Quincy Adams. Um, The contest to go into the House of Representatives in 1824, John Quincy Adams won in the House. It lost the popular vote. And he beat Andrew Jackson, who was a populist. He had received the support of Henry Clay, the Speaker. And Jackson was furious. And uh, Jackson, you know, who'd been orphaned, who as a teenager uh, was a combat veteran, a very courageous man. Well, in 1828, as the election came up again, the campaign was extremely nasty. Supporters of Andrew Jackson called John Quincy Adams a pimp, and supporters of John Quincy Adams called Jackson and his wife polygamists. Saying that she was still married, hadn't had a divorce when he married her. And that was probably true, by the way. Andrew Jackson's mother was caricatured as a common prostitute that these sailors brought over for the benefit of the English Navy. Jackson was called a murderer, a traitor, and mentally unstable. Adams dismissed the vile tone. He said that these slurs were skunks of party slander. That was a hell of a campaign. 1860. 1860. Abraham Lincoln. At political rallies in Lincoln's area, people got drunk. 
They had fistfights. They threw excrement. They attacked horses. They screamed and shouted and cursed. Did I mention they drank? They drank a lot. And it was not exactly a festive atmosphere. That was said about Lincoln and his supporters. In the years before the public flocked to see heavyweights in the ring on the gridiron, many would bring their booze, off hours, and aggressions to the campaigns. Lincoln, in particular, steered clear of the trail as outright campaigning was still considered unbecoming. So when one of the four candidates in 1860, the Democrat Stephen Douglas, announced he was going to travel from Chicago to New Hampshire by way of New Orleans to visit his sick mother, political opponents in the partisan press drew their daggers. Douglas, quote, Douglas made a speech every time the train stopped for water and coal, Holzer said, and for that he was mocked brutally as a mama's boy, as little Stephen in search of his mother, insulting his independence, his manhood, making him look like a pipsqueak, which he was. He was only 5'4". The broader sweep of the 1860 campaign was even much darker with conspiracy theories, racism, race hatred. And that had been table set by the Dred Scott decision in 1857. And it goes on. It was a vicious campaign. 1872. Republican presidential nominee was a newspaper magnate by the name of Horace Greeley, and he was running against Ulysses S. Grant. Turned on the fight over Reconstruction in the South, and with the Democratic Party still hopelessly divided, liberal Republicans, which broke away from the Republican Party, really formed the base of the electoral opposition. And as the campaign neared, they faced one minor hurdle. No one wanted their nomination. So Greeley came in, and he was a yellow journalist in many respects. And he was mocked. Unflattering caricatures were made of him, essays and cartoons. And it's reported the press behaved like a band of cruel teenagers, wondering aloud, as in one evening post editorial, how many men are there of character and reputation who may be counted among his friends? If there be any at all, they're very few. So few that it's difficult to recall their names. Rallying against him, they said he's the most corrupt, the most designing, the most dangerous of the community. And they accused Greeley of all kinds of really wacko things. He was a vegetarian. (laughs) Want to hear a little more? Grover Cleveland. Grover Cleveland's child was born out of wedlock and mostly abandoned. They called him Grover the Good, but for all the work Grover Cleveland did in cleaning up corruption during his time as sheriff of Erie County, mayor of Buffalo, governor of New York, the Democrat nominee in 1884 led a less tidy personal life. This is CNN. Brief relationship with the widow Maria Halpin in the early 1870s yielded a child, but hardly a father. Came the story of the day, glorified through the media. There was no smoking gun or direct testimony. All they had were accusations and circumstances. And of course, he did know Halpin, and she named her son, his last name, Cleveland. He eventually admitted to having an affair with her and paid some child support. So the Republicans took aim at Cleveland as a deadbeat dad while dragging Halpin and the child into the muck. 
There's a famous cartoon of Cleveland walking down the street and a woman carrying a baby saying, Ma, Ma, where's my pa? And the rhyme took hold and became a rallying cry for supporters of Cleveland's opponent, James Blaine, who would sing it in the streets during campaign events. Problem is, Blaine had his own problems. And it goes on. Folks, the media don't have any idea what they're talking about. You've got, in so many cases, not every case, but so many cases, individuals who are so illiterate, so uninformed, so driven by left-wing politics and social activism, you're never going to get the truth from these people. There's nothing extreme about Donald Trump. In fact, in so many respects, he's in the mainstream of the old way. But he's a man who has great pride, great success, who's been under enormous attack by the left in all of its forms, academia, the bureaucracy, Hollywood, the media, the Democrat Party. He deserves better than he's getting, even from pseudo-conservatives. What was he supposed to do last night? Roll up into a ball in a fetal position and get into the corner? No. No. The dirty player in this campaign is Joe Biden. Joe Biden did not want to run on his record. He didn't even talk about his record. If he did, it was in passing. 47 years, folks, what does he have to show for it? Joe Biden is a hustler. History will point out he's a hustler. A man of limited character. Really, no character. That has, throughout his career, one destroyed individual after another, who he character assassinated. A man who is way above his grade level. And the media are trying to drag him across the finish line. That's why their leaks are specifically timed to be used during debates. The New York Times, the Atlantic, and all the rest. I'll be right back. I'm going to be really direct with you. If your cellular plan is with Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, you're simply paying way too much for the exact same coverage you would get right now with Pure Talk. So look at your cell phone bill where it shows data usage. The average person who switches to Pure Talk is using less than 4 gigs of data a month. But the big carriers are charging you for unlimited data. It's like paying for an entire row on an airplane, but only needing one seat. That's how Pure Talk saves the average person over $400 a year on their wireless service. Unlimited talk, text, and 2 gigs of data all for just $20 a month. And if you go over on data usage, they don't charge you for it. So folks, switching to Pure Talk is the easiest decision you'll make today. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. When you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code L-E-V-I-N Podcast. That's Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Want to hear a tough interview, ladies and gentlemen? Mika Blazinski with Eva Pelosi. 
Now, Mr. Producer, would you circle back for the four billionth time to Eva Pelosi's office and invite her on the program? Mika Blazinski, if that is her name. The Morning Schmo Show today. You see how sexist the Morning Schmo Show is? Shouldn't it be called the Morning Mika Show, Mr. Producer? But no. Apparently Joe's genitalia wins out. Cut seven, go. Should there be, Madam Speaker, should there be more debates, given that the president broke all the rules that he agreed to during this debate? Wow. Aren't you something? Aren't you incisive? Aren't you precious? Aren't they something? I can't tell you what the something is, but aren't they something? Uh, uh, Madam Speaker, shouldn't, uh, shouldn't we have more, more debate, given the president broke all the rules? Let's hear what Eva Pelosi has to say. Go. Last night. Well, you, as you know, I never thought that he would, uh, that anybody should uh, reduce them with him because we know what he's Wow, picking. another incoherent buffoon leading the Democrat Party. Oh, you're so special. You're so terrific. You're so articulate. Can you imagine Pelosi and Biden in a room talking to each other? Can you imagine that? I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Says it better than Mark Levin. I'll go with what Mark Levin said, because nobody could say it better. Call in now at 877-381-3811. I wonder how that lawsuit's gone against Media Matters. Do you know this group Media Matters, this left-wing kook Soros front group, files with the Internal Revenue Service as a 501c3 nonprofit charity, nonpartisan charity? And do you know they got some of the relief funds they filed for and got some of your taxpayer dollars, even though it's a political front group for the left and the Democrat Party? How do they get away with this? I'm quite serious. There's a group out there that's, that's brought a case. That media matter. And, and think about how outrageous that is. They're taking money away from people who are unemployed, from businesses that are going under, people who really need it. To fund their activities against, against the country. And then they put out these little hit jobs on only conservatives. Only conservatives. And then the media run with it. The New York Times and media. Oh, look at that. 
Well, I hope they lose. I hope they're exposed. And the Internal Revenue Service should have audited that front group a long time ago. They're worried about the president's taxes. They ought to worry about their own taxes, as far as I'm concerned. Let's keep an eye on that, Mr. Producer. All right. I want to tell you about something. Facebook. Should we leave Facebook, Mr. Producer? I'm flirting with it. Because of what just took place. I'm going to read it from the top. This is Facebook, right, Mr. Producer? Here's what Facebook posted. And these tech companies really are a Stalinist. Uh, they get special privileges as a matter of federal law, and they really do need to have those revoked. They need to be subject to litigation, like any other major company. I don't know why they're protected, because they're really not the public square, quote-unquote. It says here, Mark Levin shared information that's been reviewed by Lead Stories. We've added a notice to the post so others can see that it's false. What was the story, ladies and gentlemen? Breaking on July 26, 2016, U.S. intel authorities learned that Russia intel knew of Hillary Clinton's plans to cook up a scandal alleging that Trump was working with Russia. Obama was personally briefed on Russia's knowledge of Clinton's plans. Where does that come from, ladies and gentlemen? The Director of National Intelligence. Facebook's, this is them, additional reporting, fact check. Fact check, DNI letter on Russia intel from July 2016 does not show Russia hoax was Hillary's plan. Mr. Producer, does it show that or not? I mean, I know how to read English. Learn more about how fact-checking works on Facebook. To fight false news, Facebook reduces the distribution of misleading content while also showing additional reporting on the same topic. Pages and websites that repeatedly publish or share misleading content will see their overall distribution reduced, their ability to monetize and advertise removed. I'm not monetizing or advertising on Facebook, am I, Rich? Not in the least. And their ability to register as a news page removed. I'm not registered as a news page, but that was factual. That was news. People will also be able to see if a page has a history of sharing false news. Deleting the misleading content won't affect those outcomes. So they're trying to put the scarlet letter on me as they've tried to put the scarlet letter on leading conservatives all over the country. As they've tried to do it with the President of the United States. There's absolutely nothing misleading or false with the post that I put up about the DNI letter on Russia Intel that exposes Hillary Clinton. Nothing. So Facebook is a censorship operation. Facebook is a Hillary Clinton liberal operation. It is a Joe Biden Democrat Party operation, much like Twitter. This is why I want as many of you as possible to start moving over to Parler. At Mark Levin Show on Parler. At Mark Levin Show on Parler. As a matter of fact, Mr. Producer, on Twitter and Facebook, let's see how they like this. Would you link to my At Mark Levin Show on Parler on both those sites, please? And if they start removing that, then I think we have a serious antitrust matter that definitely the Department of Justice needs to look at. This is supposed to be about free speech. This is supposed to be about communication. You've got Black Lives Matter putting stuff up. They allow it to stay. 
You've got terrorist-type uh, related type organizations, in my view, like Antifa and others. They put information up. Okay, great. You've got lies left and right from the left. Stays. I link to a fact. And they put the scarlet letter up there. It's utterly repulsive. Now, Senator Mike Lee, one of the great senators, was at the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing today, as was Ted Cruz, who was led by Lindsey Graham. And Jim Comey, the reprobate former FBI director, was giving testimony. With all this new information out about Russia, Hillary Clinton's role, the DNC's role, the Obama administration's role, Obama's role, Biden's information. They all pretend it doesn't exist. It exists. Their DNA, their fingerprints are everywhere. Everywhere. And Jim Comey plays rope with it. Well, I don't know. I'm just the director of the FBI. And Mike Lee lets him have it. Here we are at the hearing today. Cut one. Hat tip daily caller. Go. For that reason, when you were nominated to the position of, of FBI director, even though I had some grave concerns with the FBI and how it was administering FISA at the time, I trusted you. I believed that you would act in good faith when I asked you in my office and later in committee hearings, first in your confirmation hearing and then in our, uh, all of our subsequent oversight hearings, what you would do to help make sure that the FISA process was respected and not manipulated. You gave me your word. And having established that brief relationship with you all those years earlier, I trusted you. I have to say today, I'm very disappointed to see that those promises uh, announced to me seem very insincere. Now, uh, Mr. Comey, with all due respect, you don't seem to know anything about an investigation that you ran. So, so how can you now, as a private citizen and former FBI director, show up and then speculate freely or regarding any alleged ties between President Putin and President Trump, I heard you say just a moment ago, now I hope I misunderstood you, please correct me if I did. I think I heard you say that you specul- still speculate they might have something on President Trump because of how President Trump refers or doesn't refer to President Putin in public. This, of course, takes into account nothing about the fact that sources you've relied on in the past have turned out not to be accurate. You didn't identify the inaccuracies subsequently to the FISA court. It acknowledges nothing about the fact that there are perfectly reasonable explanations as to why one leader would refer to a foreign leader in a certain tone. Or the fact that this is the same tone that he uses in referring to other world leaders, particularly those world leaders in parts of the country where we've had some issues. So, so honestly, how can you as a private citizen now come to us and in your capacity as former FBI director and speculate so freely regarding these alleged ties when you don't seem to know anything about this investigation that you ran? Because he's a hack. And I'm not even going to play his answer. Because he's a hack. Why do you think the uh, CNN and MSNBC love this guy and publishers love this guy? What's scary is this guy actually served in high public office for decades. U.S. Attorney, the Southern District of New York, Deputy Attorney General of the United States, the Director of the FBI. My God. 
How many people suffered from this man? I don't have any idea. Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri at the hearing today. Cut to go. In this case, the FISA court said that they had reason to doubt the reliability of FBI applications across cases because of the level of misleading information that you personally signed off on. Do you regret your role in this unprecedented misleading of a FISA court? I don't regret my role. I regret that Why it not? happened. I'm sorry? Why don't you regret your role in the unprecedented misleading of a FISA court? Well, I regret that the FBI supplied information to a FISA court that was inaccurate, incomplete, and should have been updated. The FBI, you idiot? You were the director. You were the FBI. Go ahead. Well, I regret that it happened. The only reason I'm hesitating is what the FBI director does in connection with a FISA is actually very narrow. But put that to the side. It's important that it be accurate. And it wasn't. And I regret that very much. How how many of you people uh, sign really thick documents, contracts, mortgages, or whatever, under penalty of perjury? You've signed your your federal and, and those of us who have state income taxes under penalty of perjury. Right, Mr. Producer? And most of us have no idea what the hell's going on. You have an accountant or a CPA, they help you walk through. Even the simplest of taxes are not so simple. Your defense can't be, I had a minor role. You signed it. And when you're signing for a warrant to spy on an individual who you claim is a foreign agent of some kind, you better damn well know what's in that document. Ted Cruz at the hearing today. Cut three, go. All right, Mr. Mr. Comey, let's go directly to lies. The, the inspector general report concluded that Mr. Klein Smith, an attorney who worked for you in the FBI, deliberately altered an email. He had emailed the CIA to ask if Carter Page was a source. The, the CIA came back and said, yes, he was a, a source. And Mr. Klein Smith, your lawyer, altered that email to add the words, not a source. To make the email say precisely the opposite of what the CIA said, and that fraudulent document was then used as a basis for a fraudulent submission to the FISA court. You believe that is honest and competent, Mr. Comey? I don't believe you've offered an accurate summary of the Horowitz's oh, findings. Oh, yes, he did. Mr. Comey, oh, he sure I... as hell did. Go ahead. In front of me. Page 254 describes how the lawyer specifically the words, and not a source, had been inserted in the response, directly reversing what the CIA says. Was it practice in your FBI to fraudulently alter evidence that you submit to federal courts? It was not the practice in the FBI to fraudulently alter anything as presented to federal courts. Well, it it is difficult to say that, that an investigation that featured fraudulent evidence is competent and honest. Yeah. This guy, Comey, such a stooge, such a hack. The idea that he could serve in any major position where you have control over the liberties of individuals. This guy and the rest of them were involved in trying to topple the president of the United States. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that the next time they say, Oh, I don't like the way Trump interrupts. I don't like his demeanor. Do you like tyranny? Because we're surrounded by it. And he's the target. And he's the target because he stands between us and the tyrants. I'll be right back. Lovin. I'm going to be really direct with you. 
If your cellular plan is with Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, you're simply paying way too much for the exact same coverage you would get right now with Pure Talk. So look at your cell phone bill where it shows data usage. The average person who switches to Pure Talk is using less than 4 gigs of data a month. But the big carriers are charging you for unlimited data. It's like paying for an entire row on an airplane, but only needing one seat. That's how Pure Talk saves the average person over $400 a year on their wireless service. Unlimited talk, text, and 2 gigs of data, all for just $20 a month. And if you go over on data usage, they don't charge you for it. So folks, switching to Pure Talk is the easiest decision you'll make today. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. When you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code L-E-V-I-N Podcast. That's Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Well, there's Joe Biden walking around in Pennsylvania like a homeless guy. You're a liar. No, you're a liar. Liar. <laughs> yeah, you're a liar. Am I doing a good Joe Biden, Mr. Producer? I think I am. You're a liar. You're a clown. A clown. Shut up. Come on, man. Shut up. Like he's bouncing off padded walls, this guy. I, I don't know. I think Joe did great during the battle. I, I don't know about you guys. He's exactly the kind of leader we're looking for. Exactly. All right. I got a lot more to do, ladies and gentlemen. A lot more substance, cutting edge, and fun. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again made contact with our leader Mark Levin Hello America, Mark Levin here our number 877-381-3811 877-381-3811 over at rightscoop.com They have audio of Andrew Cuomo denying that he made nursing homes take back coronavirus-positive patients. Uh, And he does this uh, in an interview. I'm going to play some of this audio for you with the Finger Lakes Daily News. Now, Right Scoop posts, and we've posted this many, many times, the March 25, 2020 Directive that went out from the Department of Health, Andrew Cuomo, Howard Zucker, Sally Dreslin, in which they make it clear, and they underline this, no resident shall be denied readmission or admission 
to the nursing home solely based on confirmed or suspected diagnoses of COVID-19. Nursing homes are prohibited from requiring a hospitalized resident who is determined medically stable to be tested for COVID-19 prior to admission or readmission. Now, everyone who posts this story, whether it's Right Scoop or Breitbart or whatever, they ought to post the audio from my program where we broke this story, not because of my genius, because of a wonderful caller who called into the program who was director of, uh, of, uh, of the medical side of a nursing home. Elaine Healy is her name. She's a hero. And she deserves all the credit of the world for calling this program and breaking this story wide open. This was his policy. This is a policy that Joe Biden has never discussed and never condemned. From a governor, he's never condemned. And this isn't the only state, as I've pointed out over and over again. Same thing happened in Michigan, in Illinois, in California, in New Jersey, in Pennsylvania. Over 40%, last time I checked the statistics, over 40% of the people who have died from the coronavirus whether they've died solely from the coronavirus or the, a, a comorbidity and they had the coronavirus, were from nursing homes and assisted living homes. And so when Joe Biden blames the President of the United States for the death of over 200,000 people, and he tries to exploit that, it's truly unconscionable. And Cuomo keeps lying about it. And yet he's huge popularity in New York, particularly New York City. He keeps lying about it. Now, in any other walk of life, he would be doing time, would he not, Mr. Producer? If he ran a nursing home, if he ran a nursing home, he'd be subjected to prosecution. This I feel sure. Let's hear what he had to say. Go. And we never needed nursing home beds because we always had hospital beds. So it just never happened in New York where we needed to say to a nursing home, we need you to take this person even though they're COVID positive. It never happened. We had extra beds. We had extra beds at Javits. We had extra beds at uh, emergency hospitals that we put up all across the state. So it just never happened that we needed a nursing home to take a COVID-positive person. It never happened. He's such a liar. Such a complete, bald-faced liar. And look how he twists it like a good leftist. Yes, there were emergency beds put up by the Army Corps of Engineers at the direction of the President of the United States. And as we've pointed out, rather than use those facilities, many of which went empty, or Franklin Graham and the Samaritan Project and those bets. He ordered, on March 25th, he ordered, I read you the directive, quote, and it's underscored, no resident shall be denied readmission or admission to the nursing home solely Based on a confirmed or suspected diagnosis of COVID-19, nursing homes are prohibited from requiring a hospitalized resident who's determined medically stable to be tested for COVID-19 prior to admission or readmission. So why 
did the governor remove this memo from all New York State websites? You can't find it. Why did he do that? Where are the congressional hearings about what took place in New York and these other states, but especially New York and Cuomo? Where are the questions for Cuomo? Where, where's, where uh, is the Biden campaign that, that points the finger at the president who has nothing to do with this? He didn't order this. The president was the one who created all these thousands and thousands of beds through the Army Corps of Engineers and the rest of the United States military. And yet the Democrat Party, the nominee for the party, dares to blame the president of the United States for this. And he's never called on the carpet for it. He goes all over the country. Well, he doesn't go there. He speaks all over the country, Biden, making the same allegation. I'm going to play it one more time. Jessica, you can hear what, what a disgusting, immoral liar this man is. And how he lies to the face of the people interviewing him and to the people of New York. And I would say to Joe Biden, remember last night, Joe Biden, you were saying to the President of the United States, how many of you are sitting around a table with an empty chair? A family member who died from the coronavirus. Yes, Joe, how many? As a result of what Cuomo and Murphy and Pritzker and Whitmer and Newsom and the others did. What about it, Joe? Go ahead. And we never needed nursing home beds. Because we always had hospital beds. And by by the way, if there were a real hearing, or honestly a real prosecution, which there won't be, his own words would be used against him. Wait a minute. We have contemporary information, documents, evidence, that back in March you ordered this. And now, your own subsequent public statement is that you never needed it. You just damned yourself. Go ahead. So it just never happened in New York where we needed to say to a nursing home, we need you to take this person even though they're COVID positive. It never happened. We had extra beds. We had extra beds at Javits. We had extra beds at uh, emergency hospitals that we put up all across the state. So it just never happened that we needed a nursing home. That's enough of this half-wit. He really is a halfwit. All right, I want to circle back. I want to circle back at this important hearing today. It actually was important. The Russian investigation. And Comey's on the stand. He's not really on the stand. He's, he's at home staring into his computer. It's at one of these Zoom hearings. And he's questioned by Lindsey Graham. Cut four, go. On a scale of one to ten, with ten being the top of the line, great... How would you rank, rate the Crossfire hur- Hurricane investigation in terms of being done thoroughly by the book, an investigation the FBI should be proud of? I, I'm not sure I can apply a number scale, but I would say in the main it was done by the book. It was appropriate and it was essential that it be done. Okay. So you're proud of it? Overall, I'm proud of the work. There are parts of it that are concerning, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But overall, I'm proud of the work. What a, what a complete crackpot. The, what, part of one of the greatest scandals, if not the greatest scandal. I think it's the greatest scandal in American political history. 
He's proud of it. You know, parts of it. Not so much. Like trying to topple a president, trying to set up a president, trying to entrap a president, spies in the president's campaign. You know, stuff like that. But otherwise, we're kind of proud of it here. Otherwise, we went by the book. Here's Charles Grassley. Cut five. Go. Did you ever speak with President Obama or Vice President Biden about any aspect of crossfire hurricane? If so, what did you discuss? I don't remember any discussion. I remember sometime in the summer of 2016, I think August, during a meeting in the Situation Room, I told the president that the FBI was endeavoring to understand whether any Americans were working. I forget it. This guy's such a liar. I don't even care what he has to say. I'll be right back. Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. By the way, we're going to have our good friend, Congressman Matt Gates on the program at the bottom of the hour. He's terrific. A couple things I want to do here to, to clean up some significant matters. Issuesinsights.com, a fantastic site. The pandemic on Biden's watch killed 13 times as many children as COVID. Now, I want you to listen to this because this is the way it ought to work. You ready? Imagine the reaction of the public to a new virus outbreak that targeted children, sending 10 times as many to hospitals and killing 13 times as many as COVID-19. Would you call the government's handling of this pandemic a success? That's what happened in 2009 when the H1N1, a.k.a. the swine flu pandemic, swept across the land. While the total number of deaths from the swine flu was much lower than COVID-19, its impact on children and younger adults was far more severe. Now, consider these numbers, folks. Mr. Reducer, will you post this on our social sites, please? Just call it the Biden record on the swine flu. The deaths of, let's see, well, we'll get to this. According to the Centers for Disease Control's latest numbers, out of the more than 200,000 people who've died with COVID-19, 92 are under the age of 18. 92. But 1,282 children died from the swine flu 2009 to 2010 when Barack Obama was in the White House and Joe Biden was vice president. The number of children hospitalized from COVID 
has been around 8,000. The number of hospitalized children because of the swine flu was 86,813. Now, the swine flu is particularly worrisome because unlike COVID and the seasonal flu, this one targeted the young more than it targeted the elderly. In fact, fully 10% of the deaths from the swine flu were aged 17 or younger. Well, that's just 13% were over 65. With COVID, almost 80% of the deaths have been among those over 65, with those over 85 counting for 32% of the deaths. Those under 18 account for a mere 0.06% of COVID deaths. Now, the fact that the swine flu was unusual in this way didn't escape experts at the time. This is really, really different from what we've seen with seasonal influenza, said Dr. Ann Shukat, director of CDC's National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Diseases. In the fall of 2009, with seasonal flu, about 60% of hospital cases occur in people 65 and over. And here we're only seeing about 70% of hospitalizations in that age group, illustrating that this virus is disproportionately affecting the young. Affecting the young. Despite these scary statistics, the message back in 2009, Bob Woodward, you clown, was be calm. Even as the virus spread like wildfire in the fall of 2009 and vaccine development hit various snags, schools remained open. The press was busy explaining why the incidents of swine flu were likely exaggerated. In fact, Biden himself suggested in April 2009 that people not fly because of the swine flu. He was mercilessly bashed by the press for, in, for inducing panic. And the White House quickly issued a clarification. And I might add, they stopped testing. Now, COVID has also proved deadly to youth, not because of the disease, but because of the draconian lockdowns and the school closings that Biden and his fellow Democrats urged and want to extend. There's been another cost that we've seen, particularly in high schools, CDC Director Robert Redfield said. We're seeing, sadly, far greater suicides now than we are deaths from COVID. Got that? There are other reasons not to praise the Obama-Biden handling of the swine flu, which Biden provided himself. The former vice president recently declared it an abomination that the United States just passed 5 million reported infections of COVID-19. It's a number that boggles the mind, he says, and break the hearts. It should have gotten this bad. But according to the CDC, more than 60 million people contracted the swine flu. Ron Klain, who was Biden's chief of staff during the time, and we've played this audio, told Politico that it's purely a fortuity that the swine flu isn't one of the great mass casualty events in American history. It had nothing to do with us doing anything right. It just had to do with luck. Now, this has been out there for a long time for the media which ignore it. And Klain went on to say, if anyone thinks that this can't happen again, they don't have to go back to 1918, they just have to go back to 2009 and 2010. And imagine a virus with a different lethality. You can just do the math on that. So let's do the math. If the swine flu had a similar case fatality as COVID-19, the death toll would have been 1.8 million 1.8 million under Obama and Biden. The fact that only 12,000 died had nothing to do with Biden's or Obama's efforts. But in fact, as Klain says, they got lucky. Lucky. 
Likewise, the fact that 200,000 have died with COVID isn't because the Trump administration fell down on the job. It's because the disease is so harmful to the elderly and health compromised. Biden won't tell you that. His handmaidens in the press won't tell you that. Which is why it's been up to alternative news outlets to get the facts out. Unbelievable. Let's hope in the second debate somebody brings this up. Let's hope they're not interrupted when they do. Because Biden will immediately try to interrupt them in order to try and keep the information from the American people. That's the nature of that beast, a.k.a. Joe Biden. That's what he does. Want to hit another subject, again, uh, they're all tied in the sense that you have this left-wing lunacy. And by the way, good news, companies had a better than expected almost 750,000 jobs amid a jump in construction and hospitality. Have you heard that today anywhere? I don't know. What else? More good news, marketwatch.com. Consumer Confidence Index jumps to 101.8 in September from 86.3. The media reporting the positive news, that is the big media, I doubt it. We've definitely turned the corner on the economy. We've definitely turned the corner on the virus. We're almost getting multiple vaccines in place. And Joe Biden had absolutely nothing to do with it, thank God, based on what I just read to you before. There'd be 1.8 million dead people if the swine flu was anything like the coronavirus under the Obama-Biden administration. Fairfax County, Virginia, right next to Loudoun County, Virginia, that I talked to you about the other night. Fairfax County Public Schools tuned into an exclusive one-hour conversation with author Ibram Kendi. Who's Ibram Kendi? Well, they gave him $20,000. Well, you know what? We're going to talk about this after our discussion with Congressman Gates. It's important enough to hold over, and I'm going to do that. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin, the thunder on the right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Matt Gates is a standout member of Congress, you have to say. He's a, a fighter out there. Congressman, how are you, sir? Oh, I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Mark. It's my pleasure. You're a firebrand, and you've written a book called Firebrand, Dispatches from the Front Lines of the MAGA Revolution. First of all, what did you think of the debate last night? What did you think of Joe Biden in particular? 
Uh, I thought that Joe Biden looked frail. And I think that Washington perceives the debate very differently than the rest of America. I think Washington is looking for adherence to Washington standards. The media elite, the corporate elite, the lobbyists uh, that, that run this place and sort of fill the echo chamber with their nonsense. I think most Americans looked at that debate and said, if my job were on the line, if the success of my family were dependent on a decision, an outcome, who would I want fighting for me? Which of these two men could I trust the success of our country or our family to if it were all on the line? And I think clearly, you know, Donald Trump uh, was dominant in his sort of management of the debate from that respect. By the way, your seat is the old Joe Scarborough seat, isn't it? It is. It is. We try not to remember that. <laughs> Joe was actually a conservative uh, when he represented our area in Congress. It is amazing what $10 million bucks a year will do to someone's principles. Oh, yes, you're exactly right. Apparently not very good. Uh, tell us about this book, Firebrand. Uh, I believe that Donald Trump is not an aberration, that he's the front end of the wave, and that there is a new politics coming to this place where we put our country and our people first, and we can divorce ourselves from the establishment of both parties. Uh, I talk about arriving in Washington and finding it to be a deeply corrupt place. For example, I had to pay... $75,000 out of my political funds to the Republican Party to get a seat on the Armed Services Committee. Whoa, 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 whoa. In other words, you had to donate to the party fund. To the party fund for my political fund. And, you know, when I asked the leader of the party, I said, well, you know, how do I get on this committee? The answer was deliver $75,000 across the street in the next 10 days. I mean, my first thought is like, is anyone here wear a wire? But uh, mm-hmm. then I thought, well, hell, if these things are for sale, maybe I ought to pay twice. So I donated 150000 and that's how I ended up not just on the Armed Services Committee, but the Judiciary Committee. Oh, uh, after years of observing this, uh, I became the only Republican in Congress to swear off all PAC money. I take no PAC money, no leadership PAC money, no ideological PAC money. You know, my only special interest is the American people, and it has allowed me a, a liberty and a perspective on this place uh, that I think uh, could be helpful to other firebrands who want to come and be a part of this great populist revolution that our transformational president has led. Now, when, when were you elected? I was elected with the president in uh, 2016, sworn in at about the same time, 2017. So you've only been there a few years, and you've uh, you've already made a, uh, a very good name for yourself there. And you were a supporter of uh, Ron DeSantis for governor as well, correct? That's right. I still remember when uh, when we had you down for a book signing, and yep. uh, you got the chance to share your perspective with the people of Florida. I think they're still cheering down there in, uh, <laughs> in Jupiter where we met up. But I saw in Ron the firebrand spirit, you know, and I, I talk about my relationship with the Florida governor in the book and, you know, coming to the conclusion that, you know, even when all the money is supposedly piled up against you, even when you don't have, you know, the key endorsements that everyone says really matter, uh, even when uh, you're counted out, if you speak clearly to the people about, you know, how you can improve their lives and if there is an authenticity uh, that can carry a long way in our politics. You know, I write in, in my book that Donald Trump, you know, doesn't present like some of these other politicians of yesteryear in the, in the agora of white, you know, perfect background, never done anything he's ever been ashamed of in his life. You know, he's honest and visceral and real, and uh, that creates a, an opportunity for folks like me to do things a different way. I, I, my model in Washington has been very different 
than most. I'm not trying to climb a committee ladder. I'm not trying to rename post offices. I'm trying to get out there and excite the American people around these ideas. And, you know, there are a few big challenges I think we're facing. You know, I write a lot in the book about China. Uh, you know, the, the Obama administration, the Bush administration before, I think, believed in the Chimerica dream that ultimately has become a nightmare. And, you know, for President Trump, I think there's an understanding of China's strategy, that they are the strategic competitor. And maybe instead of trying to build democracies out of blood and sand and Arab militias in the Middle East, we ought to raise our gaze and sharpen our focus on the fights that really matter. The book is Firebrand, Dispatches from the Front Lines of the MAGA Revolution. The author you're listening to, Representative Matt Gates. You can go to Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. We've linked to it there. You can go directly to Amazon if you like. It's a terrific book, a terrific author, a terrific congressman. How does Florida look for the president, would you say? Florida looks very differently with Hispanics breaking to the president in droves. Uh, Miami-Dade County is going to be a key county to watch uh, in the upcoming election because Democrats are not going to be building large vote margins there. A lot of working-class Hispanics in Florida are only a generation or two removed from socialism. Not, you know, the hacky-sack drum circle socialism of Bernie Sanders, but the no-food-no-medicine socialism of Central and South America. And they are not pleased with the Biden-Harris embrace of this neo-Marxist Black Lives Matter movement. And, uh, you know, that, uh, that is a coalition that I don't think the Democrats can just take for granted. You know, there were generate, or there was a lot of politics around, oh, you know, Donald Trump is going to be deporting your grandmother. You know, the truth is Donald Trump has secured the border and he's been deporting the illegal criminals uh, very effectively. And I think that the, the, a lot of Hispanic voters are starting to see the lies Democrats have been telling them. Tell us about your son. My son, Nestor, today became an American citizen, Mark. It is truly... Wait, wait, wait. He became a citizen today? Today. uh, Isn't that exciting? Uh, It is. I I get tingles just thinking about it. When when this young man, Nestor, was 12 years old, he came over from Cuba legally. He had waited eight years for his family reunification visa. I had been dating his older sister. And while, you know, her relationship with me didn't work out, uh, I ended up sort of raising this, this wonderful young man for seven years. Uh, his mom died only 10 days after he got to the United States. She died in Cuba, her last act, sort of getting him on the plane here to a new life. And uh, he's now studying nursing uh, in college. I'm incredibly proud of him and uh, just, uh, just couldn't be more overjoyed that he's going to have a chance to vote in this upcoming election. You know, it's amazing how the left in the media, the Democrat Party, wherever they are, try to portray conservatives. You look at Amy Coney Barrett, and she's adopted two children from Haiti. She's got one child with a severe special needs. Look at you, uh, Matt Gates, and you adopted a young man who is Hispanic. And, and there's many examples like this. There's many examples like this. But it breaks the narrative, doesn't it, of the left? Yeah, and, you know, the reason that people know about my son, uh, you know, outside of our community where people see us go to church together and go to ball games together is that Cedric Richmond in the Judiciary Committee said mm-hmm. that no, no white members should be allowed to speak about policing reforms because none of us could understand what it's like having a non-white child. You see, they, the supposed party of tolerance over there on the left, they want to paint all of us with one brush. And we have diverse family situations, diverse life experiences, diverse perspectives, 
And, you know, in the, in the communist utopia that they're trying to build, there's no grace. There's no room for difference and uh, acceptance. And that's a shame because I think it, it leads to the types of uh, outbursts and riots that you're seeing uh, on our streets and that are tearing apart a lot of our metropolitan cities under Democratic leadership. You're listening to Matt Gates, congressman from Florida. The book is Firebrand, Dispatches from the Front Lines of the MAGA Revolution. I want to strongly recommend it to you. Amazon.com, Mark Levin Show, Facebook, Mark Levin Show, Twitter. You're very popular on TV and radio. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's because I rate well. Uh, (laughs) Well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, you know, I... uh, But is it your message, your delivery, both? What do you think it is? You know, the, the thing about earned media is that you have to earn it. Uh, you, you have to do interesting things. You have to uh, offer a perspective in a, in a unique and, and insightful way. And, you know, I do my best to do that each and every day. But, but I think ultimately in the era of Trump, it's about authenticity. It's about being real, who you are. You know, uh, I certainly, uh, you know, when you, when you fight so close to the line, sometimes you go over it. I make mistakes. I understand that. You know, I, I represent the Florida man and Florida woman uh, at their best, but I also represent them at their worst. And at times I have to beg their forgiveness when I'm at mine. But I think being upfront about that and candid gives me flexibility with my constituents uh, because they know that we're in the, when we're in the battle, I'm really there fighting for them. All right, Matt Gates. I just want to tell you, this book is outstanding. Firebrand Dispatches from the Front Lines of the MAGA Revolution. Again, Amazon.com uh, or go to Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. I always forget this. Mark Levin Show Parlor. That's very important. We want as many people to go to Parlor as possible. Matt, it's been a pleasure. Good luck to you, my friend. All right. I look forward to seeing you in Washington or Florida, wherever we meet up. Uh, not Washington. Hopefully Florida. Amen to that. All right, God bless. Take care. It's a great guy. I only go to Washington, number one, if I have to, or number two, if there's really something special going on. You know, like uh, peace treaties. Nobel Peace Prizes that, that are never given to the president, even though he gets nominations. It's so terrible. Yeah, I don't... Uh, or riots, Mr. Reduce. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't go for those... What was... That's tr- Let me tell you, after that Republican convention... We were in the middle of it. We were in the middle of that riot. It was disgusting. And those were the days when Joe Biden wasn't condemning riots. I just want you to remember this, folks. That's why I say debates, no debates. You know what's going on in this country. You know what's taking place. And you know what's at stake. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. 
And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. When I first moved to Virginia, we lived in Fairfax County. It was a Republican county. Now it's a dark blue county. So I moved to a county called Loudoun County which was a bright red county, and now it's a blue county. That's what happens when people from the District of Columbia and people from Maryland move into Virginia or move into Florida or move into Georgia. They continue with their reckless, insane political ideology and voting patterns. Marty even is fed up with them too. Right, Marty? Remember, Barney hated liberal deer. Marty hates liberal deer, too. All right, quiet down. Anyway, I want to read this to you from The Federalist, Fairfax County, Virginia. Sitting in their living rooms, kitchens, and dining rooms on the morning of August 6th, principals, teachers, and other leaders from Fairfax County Public Schools in Northern Virginia tuned into an exclusive one-hour conversation with author Ibram Kendi, K-E-N-D-I. The bill was $20,000 for the one-hour conversation, or $333.33 per minute of chat. He says, because I was curious what my son's school district had spent for a one-hour talk by a celebrity offer, I broke the news of the price tag for the talk in a column for Quillette. Okay. It goes on. Who is this guy? He's one of the radicals behind the critical race theory. One of the radicals behind the critical race theory. Now, this past weekend, he says, in a dig at the new Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, a white woman who adopted two black children from Haiti, this individual, Kendi, referred to white parents who adopt black children as white colonizers. Born in the 1980s out of Marxism and class warfare, critical race theory puts people, including children, against each other. For example, forcing students to wear privilege scorecards to differentiate themselves from their classmates. And key to this strategy of indoctrination is getting the books of ideologues into the hands of students as, quote, required reading, unquote. That's exactly what has happened in Fairfax County, Virginia, in the weeks after Kendi's $20,000-an-hour conversation. The contract that Penguin Random House Speakers Bureau signed with the school district For Kendi's talk included an important clause, number 10, simply entitled Books. Why am I telling you about these things? Because if it happened in a southern state like Virginia, it can happen anywhere. And you really need to keep your eyes peeled, you mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers, of what's going on in your school districts. The contract stated, it is understood that the sponsor, meaning the Fairfax County Schools District, will arrange to have the speaker's books available for purchase and or giveaway. It further states either the sponsor may purchase copies of the books authored by the speaker directly from Penguin or from another retailer. Sure enough, the school district spent about $10,000 buying Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, through Amazon, and doled out about $14,000 for his book stamped. And it goes on. Your kids are being indoctrinated. They're being poisoned. 
And you're paying for it. Every damn piece of it. You are paying for it. Be alert. Attend the school board meetings. Find out what the hell these textbooks are. And what's going on in these seminars. And speak out. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And our president. See you next time. Tomorrow. Same place, same time. God bless. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.